Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Topps, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. I had an idea that relates a little bit to stamps. I've been hearing on other shows that baseball cards are not an investment, but they're a store of value. And I'm thinking, guys, I don't think you can be a store of value if you're not an investment. Gold is a store of value. It's an investment, but in the sense that it's mainly a store of value because it doesn't throw off any dividends. When I did cards in the 80s, you'd walk in with stamps to a dealer. They'd call it postage. They would pay 50% face value for stamps. Now, because of all the electronic communication, and the less stamps used in mail, dealers are paying 25 to 30% for postage. Are you serious? So if I have some of these forever stamps, they'll give me 15 cents for them? Yeah, they may give you a little more because the value holds or whatever it is. But if you have a 40 cent stamp, they'll give you maybe 10 cents. Cards, with the exception of the overproduced error, trade at a higher value than that. That was always one of my comments about the value of cards is I never wanted cards to be like stamps where you walked in and if it's a retail store as a hundred dollar item, you might get $20 as a stamp. Of the catalogs. Yeah. Catalogs were like that. Now my sense was because stamps historically uh, gold is the original store of value for deposed Kings and Queens and Royal families. They would have some gold or some jewels. That's a store of value. But over the last centuries stamps also have been but very rare collectible stamps is that still happening because it, maybe there's a big discount but i thought maybe there was still a market the for really high dollar stamps are doing just fine the really high dollar coins are doing just fine yeah but the stamps that are really high value like that you can sew them inside the lining of your coat that's the kind of stuff they used to do i suppose you could do that with cards but you'd probably want to get them graded first and stamps are graded too as well. So with the store of value, the whole idea of it's not an investment that gives off dividends, but it can't be a store of value if it's not an investment. Somebody, so somebody has to borrow against it. If you had a stamp collection and you went to the bank, they may not lend you money on it, but they wouldn't kick you out. They'd say, you need to go to somebody else. You need to go to a stamp dealer. They wouldn't say you're an idiot or coins, same thing. They said, we can't loan against that because we're not coin dealers but maybe somebody would. And now we have people that are loaning against cards. And so to me, that's an investment aspect. It's not the same investment as having a margin situation with stock where you're able to borrow against your stocks and the brokerage or the bank will count that at 80% or something or bonds or stocks or whatever. Okay, I got one topic. <laughs> Based on something I got this week on email, your former company. Oh, boy. No, there's nothing bad. But I want us to play with this and see if we can make this work. So they asked people, do you want to participate in a survey? I participated. So how did you get that? Did they send it to you or you found it? They sent me an email like, we're looking for opinions, like focus groups or whatever. Really? Would you like to do a survey? Two days later, the survey shows up. Okay. My question is, Let's pick a random thing. If you were doing a survey, what would you ask your customers? 
if you were a card manufacturer? What would you ask them if you're a grading company? What would you ask them if you're a retail store? Two things they're probably not doing that you should do with good survey methods. One is stratifying or segmenting the sample that you get to make sure you're getting representatives from different areas, different facets of the industry, and not just all a bunch of collectors or all a bunch of dealers or all a bunch of breakers. And the other thing is in survey and sampling technology is that you have to account for the people that don't want to respond, the non-response bias. Usually, if you contacted 100 people and said, I want to get your opinions about BGS, and will you fill out a three-minute survey? It sounds pretty innocuous. If 50 of them say, hey, that's great, I'd love to help, they're probably going to give some favorable responses. The other 50 that said, forget about it, I haven't got time for you, those are not the same as the 50 that said, hey, how can I be helpful? In the early days, when it was mainly me and a few helpers, I really was trying to find out what was going on with people that were former customers. If they no longer got the magazine, either by subscription or with the dealer copies, dealers that didn't get the copies anymore, why are you not doing it? And in a nice way. And they could say, they just weren't selling that well. Maybe in some of those years or some of those locations, is your store otherwise doing fine? Or if they drop their subscription, are you still in the organized hobby? Or have you switched over to some other thing? Very amicable, but I really wanted to follow up with people that were no longer customers. Because we were getting new customers, but I don't like to lose the old customers. So much easier to keep a customer than try to get a new But my former company, the Beckett Media, Beckett Grading guys, they need to make sure that they're hearing from their most loyal customers, for sure. But also, if anybody has changed their mind. And to finish your question, is that the survey questions, I want to know if some of these former customers, if their experience is typical or isolated. And I got somewhere else I want to go with this. Many years ago, when I did show trips, when TriStar started doing shows around the country, they had passes for me. I never wanted to just to get the pass. It. <clears throat> if I got to the show at 5.30 and the show began at 6 o'clock at night, I would actually wait. I'm from New York, so I say online. Most people say in line, but we say online in New York. I would wait online to hear the conversations. In the line or on the line, you're hearing some pretty candid conversations that seems random, except it gets around to what people want to gripe about or feel strongly about. I'm what they're looking thing, for, Rich, what they're but doing. You get, are you like me, though? You're a known person. You have to be anonymous. Otherwise, they're going to hush up around you. But I'm with people who don't know me. At the show, they know me. Most of the people online don't know me. Okay. I would listen to the conversation. The people who are paying attention and saying things are on the line. That's what I love about the national. At the National, if you're there, even if they know you, there's a waiting period for them to open the doors at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, who are the most passionate people? The ones standing in line because they can't wait to get in. They want to be the first ones to get in. So again, not a random sample. They're the people that are the most enthusiastic. And, right, and but they're the ones, ones that you can learn about why they're there. There was a guy in New Jersey, I think his name was John Wolf. His claim to fame is he had to be first on every autograph line. 
he was a good guy, but he loved being the first autograph person. <clears throat> so he could tell you how any show worked because he made sure to get autographs. Yes, you can't talk to somebody who no longer goes to your shows. But I'm amazed when I'm at the Dallas Card Show how many people have and I've been to your synagogue show. When Kyle Robertson had a trade day a couple of weeks ago and I went to it, and he was nice, gracious, let me hand out flyers for my small Memorial Day weekend show. And there were a couple of people who I knew, and they said, yes, your show was the first show I ever went to. Awesome. And I had no idea. So every once in a while, you get the validation. I've had a lot of people come through, and let's say they graduated now to Kyle's show, and that's great. Or they're doing other things. That's great. I am happy to pick up a few names for the mailing list. And if they remember my show, I say, it's not what it was, but still a fun way to spend an afternoon. We still have the $3 hot dog special. Still going to be value boxes and you're still going to have a good time. It's not going to be the show where you're going to have Pelican cases. You want to know why people stop doing something. And, and sometimes, hey, I was doing it with my kid. He lost interest. Can't do much about that. Well, I don't have any money anymore. Yeah, can't do anything about that. Too many surveys are about pontificating about what I would do under certain circumstances. The better indicator is what they actually do. And just like for grading, where are they submitting their cards? So if they're not submitting to BGS, where are they submitting and why? And you've got to ask it in a nice way, or they'll sometimes tell you the answer you want to hear. But if they say, I had a bad experience, then you want to know, like I said, I want specific criticism. Why did you have a bad experience? A person or was it in the system? Just tell me more about it in case it's something that could be fixed or well, it's something that's a blind spot. It's hard to be able to organize the criticism. What are the central themes in that criticism? Like I said, it can't be that we hate you guys, but if we say we used to love you guys, but we think you're doing the wrong thing in making this decision then that decision needs to be thought about. But like you said, change is not your enemy. I'm not a big fan of anonymous surveys. <laughs> I really want to know who the person is. Because when we were doing price guides and trying to tabulate input from around the country, some people's input is stronger, more valid, more reliable than somebody else. Somebody that does a lot of business should carry more weight. So same thing with BGS. If they're surveying, shouldn't be majority rules, Rich. There ought to be some wisdom in there that's distilled. And that's what I'm seeing. Because you can't please all the people all the time. And it I learned that 25% of the people usually will follow you no matter what you do. And this is my problem. When I was the boss, you try to filter that through because the concern is those 25% might be the most vociferous. And they're not idiots. They have some reasons. They're so passionate and loyal, which is normally not a bad thing, but they're looking the other way for some obvious problems. When I heard criticism from somebody who, quote, didn't like us, I paid a heck of a lot more attention to that yeah. because they weren't necessarily your friends. Sometimes they were personal friends, but business-wise, this is their complaint and their passion and they don't like this and they don't like the company and this is why. Yeah. Okay, is there a reason to fix this? And the flip side, somebody that's a big fan, but has one thing they want to bring up. I want to listen to that too, because yes. they're saying, we love you guys, but there's this one thing that's bugging me. And so can I tell you that? I said, absolutely. Louise was masterful at that, of drawing that out, of giving people permission. You shouldn't have to give people permission to tell the truth. 
but sometimes you do. You got to say, no, I really want to hear it. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what you really think. I've run in our owner, Tim, to Triple Cards one day. And Triple Cards is a big comp seat people. And then the family of cards all give us cards. This is Tim. Do you have any complaints? No, we love you guys. It's wonderful. But an issue came up a couple months ago. It wasn't something Com C went wrong, but there was something with the Topps Redemption cards that we fulfilled. Goldschmidt and Judge cards. The MVP promotion thing, yeah. The MVP promotion. And the package, we got some details and the package showed up. And we were able to trace it from that information. But we made it a point to go and dig a little deeper to say, okay, let's figure out whether it's you, whether it's us, what happened to this package of the MVP promotion cards? And it got solved. One of the reasons it got solved is we were able to figure out what happened to the package. That suggests another topic of how various companies in the industry handle their mistakes. Again, the goal I always had is to not make mistakes. But you're going to occasionally make a mistake, whether it's one in a thousand or one in a hundred thousand. And the bigger and more successful you are, the more transactions, ComC would be in that boat as well. So there are going to be isolated problems. How do you handle it? Do you ignore it? Do you bend over backwards to make it right? There's just different approaches. And nowadays, communication is really important. Something I read from Tom Peters in Search of Excellence. I believe he's talking about Carl Sewell, who has the greatest relationships in Dallas. He says, I want to sell you a great card, but if I don't sell you a great card and it's a lemon, then really let me show you what I can do. We're going to get you a you new card. you turn somebody from being mad at you to appreciating you, it's very dramatic. The fan tells 100 people, the turned former enemy tells 1,000 people because you made it right. So again, the moral of the story is don't goof up so you can do it. But it's like when Michael Rubin gave that nine-year-old- The Devin Booker thing, yes. Devin Booker jersey. That's not just impacting that kid. But everybody hears about that and thinks, that could be me. What's a vicarious thing? And that wasn't a mess up, just an opportunity to do a nice thing. And always take opportunities to do good things. Always do good things. You can't give away the farm, but it's generally better to be nice than to be mean. Sometimes you got to be tough. You got to hold your position. But the customer is not always right. But if it's a 50-50, then you better give in. If the customer is completely wrong, even then you better not be mean to them, but you can't have somebody steal from you and then deny reality. But anyway, Rich, thanks. Good ramblings for us.